You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, well, we are good looking out, Devin. Uh, we are in the midst of the holiday season, and, and you know, you always feel that in a good way. Uh, as the, the joy and the music starts and you start hanging out with family and friends and you go and buy turkey as much as I may not be a fan of that personally. Uh, I know others are and that's good. You start going and buying that and, uh, and so you feel that. Well, also, we tend to get that a little bit in church too, right? Where people start heading out of town and stuff like that. And so we'll be, uh, if you know someone that's heading out of town, if they're already headed out of town, if they're heading out of town this week, uh, be praying for them. You know, like... Uh, this is a time where a lot of people are traveling, a lot of people are doing that type of stuff, and uh, what we want to do is just be able to pray for them and be gracious and, and really like just ask the Lord to protect them. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to keep that in mind as we're working toward that. Now, what I also want to do is just pray real fast. I, uh, as these winter-y days start to set in and the sun doesn't come up in the morning, um, 10.50 feels a lot like 145. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't know about you, but it feels that way to me. And so what I would love for us to do uh, is take a second and uh, pray again. And honestly, I just want to pray to kind of center my mind on uh, the work we have to do here and just taking a look at God's word and asking him to speak to us. And so uh, before we jump in, I want to go ahead and just take a second to, uh, to pray and uh, really for myself. And so if you want to uh, pray for yourself in that time, that's great. If you want to pray for me as well, that's great too. Because uh, I feel the 145 feeling right now, maybe more than you do. And so as you can tell, I'm like talking all slow and stuff. You're like, who is this guy? Uh, and so I'm feeling it's super heavy today. In addition, my children were up from three to six in uh, ungodly ways. And so if you want to pray for me especially right now, please feel free to. Anyway, uh, if you would join me, Father, thank you so much for this time, thank you for your word. Um, Father, help us work through this time well. Um, help us to center our hearts on what you would have for us. You desire to speak to us as we open your word and hear from you and receive from your, your mouth in the world, um, your word. And so help us to receive from you today. And let that receiving not just be something that tickles our mind or tickles our thoughts or even encourages us. Uh, but Father, let us approach your word today, not for information, Father, but let us approach your word today for transformation. Let it speak to us in ways that undo us and then bind us back together stronger in you. And so help us to that end today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right, I'm feeling a little better. So what we want to do is we want to continue our sermon series. Uh, this is our community. We're talking about community our vision for community, what that means for us, that type of deal. Uh, and we're going to cl- conclude that time today because starting next week, we'll start uh, in Advent season. And so we'll be doing all the good Christmas stuff and uh, talking about uh, Jesus first. Uh, first, golly, y'all, sorry. This is the three to six coming in right now. Uh, his first coming. And then also, in addition to that, thinking about his second coming. And so that's really what we'll jump into next week today. We're going to conclude this time because as we come into this upcoming season, right, we've already talked, and we'll hear a little bit more uh, later in a while, about uh, like serving opportunities at Rodriguez. And then we'll be announcing maybe some serving opportunities in the community for the holidays and Christmas uh, coming up in addition to Rodriguez. Uh, and then you're going to be going out of your way, right, to, to go and see family and to go and be a part of uh, these group spaces where you're going to be giving of yourself and loving people and, and, and you know, like, like being loved by others. And all this idea of community and serving and giving of yourself over the course of these next few months is really like, like kind of at the forefront of our minds during this time. And, and we want to really kind of cast a vision for, for why that is and for, for what's going on in our heart and what that's accomplishing in our heart uh, when we actually do that. Uh, That was one of the main reasons we wanted to go through a time thinking about community here, thinking about community on Sunday, because we are going to be going out of our way to serve in a lot of ways over the next few weeks. We are going to do that. And there's often an an end to that. It's not purposeless. It's for a a purpose. It's for meaning. There's something to it. And 
And so when we think about how God has orchestrated the idea of us coming together as people, making us not so that we could live by ourselves, so that we could exist by ourselves, but rather so that we could come together as community and through that bless each other and be a blessing to one another and to receive from one another all so that he can be glorified and so that he can work in his people. Again, this idea that that oftentimes, we talked about this last week some, we have this idea, especially because we're Western, uh, Westerners, Americans specifically, where we think like God has this personal relationship with us and that's where he works, almost exclusively. We pray to God about our individual lives, about our individual feelings, about our individual circumstances. And yes, we confess that to other people, but when we think of how we depend on God, we think of this very personal, interpersonal uh, relationship where he's interacting with our mind and in our heart, yet in the New Testament and in the Old Testament specifically, especially I should say, the idea of interacting and depending on God was personal, 100%, but it was almost equally this idea of how he engages you through other people, how God's people together, right, working together, living together, how they really display God, not just to the outside world, but to one another, how he speaks to us through that idea. And so today, uh, what I want to do is I want to conclude this time uh, this week by thinking about how we do that um, in a community like ours, right? If this is our community, uh, kind of like the, the, the Dove Springs, Southeast Austin area, I want us to take a second to think about, well, what does the word tell us about how to go about doing that? We talked about this a few months ago uh, in, I think it was in the summer, right at the tail end of us getting out of Point Community Church, but I wanted to revisit it um, because I think it's important. Uh, Not only is this the idea that we want to kind of cling to as we're going through the holidays, but it's also the idea of what it means to have a biblical vision of serving and building communities, not just our community. But as this community grows, it should be as a consequence of the community around us flourishing. The idea that God, does, again, does not give his people to be selfish, but God gives his people to serve and to display God himself to the world around us. And so Daniel and Jenna live in an apartment complex. I know that because I've been to their apartment complex several times. Right? That's like a, a little community of people that live at, I'm not going to say the apartment complex. Um, <laughs> Right, but, but that's a community right there of people that, that can only say, I live at this apartment complex. And, and the amazing idea is that they also host a community group of people that go there and share time together. And so in the midst of that community, in this apartment complex, there's also this smaller community that God is building to be a beacon of light to display God's goodness to the rest of the people around that apartment complex. And once that group spreads out from there to go home and to become a beacon of light in the homes that they have and in the communities they share, all for the purpose, not just of saying, hey, what's going on with that person? They seem to have a deep and personal relationship with God that doesn't affect the rest of us. But I like the fact that they have that deep and personal relationship. Maybe I should have a deep. That's good. That's fine. But likewise, for those beacons to come out and for those beacons to say, hey, what do you need? To start to function like the hands and feet of Jesus, the way Jesus came into the world to serve and love us. So I'm I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, I'm going to attribute that to three to six in the morning last night as well. But uh, that's why we want to focus on this, because we want to develop a biblical vision of what this type of community looks like how our community interacts with the community outside of us and and really what that means and what it looks like and how it serves us and how it serves them and how God is glorified by that. And so what I want to do is go ahead and jump in. Uh, We're going to be really looking through um, Jeremiah 29, uh, 4 through 7, uh, as Callie read. And what I want to do is this. I, I, I want us to take on some practicals today. There's going to be a lot of practical information that's thrown at you like a fire hydrant for a little bit because there's a lot of practical things here. But from there, what I want to do is, is, is I want to visit the, the underlying motivation behind all those practical things. Because if, if we sit here and just give you this list of things to do, you may go and accomplish them for a matter of a week, but then there will come a time where you're like, this just isn't fun for me anymore. And if you don't know the why behind it, all those, those practicals will begin to taper off. 
Because the motivation will, will be insufficient. It'll just be, that's what a good person does. That's what a good Christian does. Instead of, this is how God is working in me and in others when it's good and even when it's frustrating, when it's seemingly disappointing. So we want to visit the wise as well. And overall, what I would love for us to think through is really this, this sentence, that only through understanding where our own hope lies are we empowered to love and serve the places that God places us. Okay, so only through understanding where our own hope lies are we empowered to love and serve the places that God places us. And we're going to be working through Jeremiah 29, but we're going to take on two points here. Uh, One is going to be the command, and one is going to be the call, the command and the call that are found in Jeremiah 29. So let's go ahead and read, and and if that doesn't make sense yet, that's okay. We're going to dive and we're going to explore this idea a little bit, but Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 Let's reread it together. You can look at it on the screen or you can read along uh, in your paper Bible if you're super holy, if you're electric Bible, if you're uh, just a little less holy. I'm just kidding. Um, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all exiles, to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city. I have deported you to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Okay? Now, in order to to understand what's happening here, and there's a ton here that's going to teach us about what building community looks like and how that community begins to impact the, the, the communities and city around us, we have to understand what exile is first. If you don't understand what exile is, a text like this doesn't really have the same impact that it would if you understood that concept. You would look at it and think, here's a great list of things to do to help the community around me. What you wouldn't see is the powerful things that are going to come out of this in a little bit. And so we have to understand what exile is first. The Hebrew exile was a time starting around 600 BC where swaths of Hebrew nobility and upper class were taken uh, from the the area that they called home, and marched over 1,500 miles to be relocated to a city called Babylon. And here they were put into what amounted to Hebrew ghettos, right? Uh, Ethnic enclaves that were a far cry from the middle-class socioeconomic uh, environment that they had come from. And while they were still allowed to practice their faith and to have their cultural customs, and they were allowed to work and to live for all intents and purposes, this was a captive people. They weren't slaves, but they were held there against their will. If they wanted to leave, it wasn't necessarily something they were allowed to do, right? They they were taken as prisoners, even though they were allowed to live in some way and to have some measure of freedom. They were still captive, oppressed people. And this is where it gets tricky, though, because prophets for years had warned the Hebrew people that if their idolatry continued and that if if their disobedience to God continued, there was going to be an exile. God was going to allow someone to come and to snatch them up and to be like, we're out of here. You're going to lose this this land, this home that is really so closely knit to your idea of of my promise to you and what it means for me to be with you. You are going to lose that. And they warned and they warned and they warned and they warned, but they were disregarded and they were pushed aside. And one of these prophets that warned and warned and warned was the prophet Jeremiah, the book that we're reading today. In fact, Jeremiah 29 is the first chapter in the whole book of Jeremiah that's not like super doom and gloom. All right, if you were to, re- if you were to start at Jeremiah 29, you'd be like, man, I like this Jeremiah guy. If you were to start at Jeremiah 1, you'd be like, man, this Jeremiah dude is tough, right? Like, it is a great example of God's mercy in the moment after such hardships have occurred, but But it's also, really, if you were to read prior to Jeremiah 29, a serious warning about how how seriously God takes the idea of obedience and holiness and following him. It's not minuscule. It's not small. It's it's a very real warning. But Jeremiah 29 takes on this hopeful tone. It has many of the beautiful promises we cling to today, including everybody's famous, our most favorite uh, right, uh, misinterpreted and misapplied verse where I know the plans that I have for you. Uh, and it's like, we all like to say that. And then it's like, but are you like in exile? And it's like, so do you live as an oppressed person in a place that you don't call home where you have lost everything? No, 
I'm not sure that applies to you fully then, but it applies in some way, and, and so we understand why we, it reflects God's character in some way. I, I, I know the plans that I have for you. He loves us and desires to give us good things, but, but these are promises given to an oppressed people. That's the point. These are hopeful promises given to a people that are hurting. And yet despite that, uh, all of that, all these circumstances, there were still prophets saying the exile wasn't that big of a deal, that it was going to be over in as little as two years. Some prophets were like, ah, this will 48 months, we'll be back home. This is where Jeremiah had, again, a little different view than these guys, right? He didn't say two. He didn't say seven. He says, go ahead and get comfy. His exile is going to last for 70 years. 70 years. I don't know if that's the exact number that the exile actually lasted, but the point he was trying to communicate to these people was not, this is the exact number you need to be thinking about. Get your calendars ready and just start marking down the days. The idea was some of you that are here, that were taken from your home and put into this ghetto and are now feeling the weight of oppression around you, you're not going to see home again. This will be the place you die. This will be the place you live out the rest of your days. This is where our people will be for the foreseeable future. And it's here we get a unique set of commands. I know I'm giving a lot of intro, but it's important. Because rather than in inspiring them to form a coup or to, to just protect themselves and to station themselves away and to not interact with anybody else, rather than incurring, encouraging them to panic, he tells them to ingrain themselves into the society that they're a part of. He tells them to establish a community of God amongst their people, with their customs and, and their faith and their families in Babylon. And I want you to, this is a side note that doesn't have as much to do with today as, as the rest of this, but God didn't see the exile of his people as this consequential time that was lost in the plan of his redemption. I just want you to note that. He didn't see it that way. He saw even their suffering as something to redeem and to weaponize and to use for redemption. Again, I have to stop here and just look at you and ask you a question, which is what in your life, whether you are an actual victim or whether you are the consequences of your own actions, right, which, which is possible. This is what we're looking at right here, consequences of your own actions. What in your life that maybe is the result of that, that you're looking at and going, how could this be good? This is a waste of time. I'm just waiting for God to free and redeem me and rescue me out of this thing. And maybe God is looking at it and saying, I'm going to use that thing in order to advance the purpose of redemption, in order to advance the purpose of making all things new. How can we possibly be on the receiving end of Jeremiah's total message, even beyond just the message that we're talking about today, but, but his larger message of there's a God of hope that even in the midst of these extraordinarily difficult things uses and is in the midst of these difficult things to make beautiful things come out of them. Now, with that said, we're back to what we're talking about. Um, he sees it this way, and, and, and to help them get that, he encourages them to settle in in three specific ways. Three specific ways. The first, again, these are the commands that he's giving them. The first is to establish a presence in the city. Right, Jeremiah 5 through 6 says, uh, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters uh, to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Right, what is this saying? Well, it's saying a few different things, but they all come together to create this idea of establishing yourself in the community that you're a part of. The first uh, is to get uh, to establishing a presence in the, the community in the city. The first is to get involved in the community. The idea of build houses and live in them. In other words, uh, you know, don't huddle up together and become isolated away from everything else. Build houses. Don't stay in one place just anticipating moving from that place later. Don't, don't even sit there and say, you know what, I, we're here for the moment, but I don't want to get too close to you guys because I don't know when I'm going to move and when I'm going to relocate, and so I'm not going to get that invested in your life. Build houses and live in them. Be a part of what's happening around you. In a city like this, people move around a lot. 
And it's easy to get to a new place and go, ah, you know, I, I, we're going we're gonna to make some friends here, but when we move to the next place, that's when we'll make some real friends. Yeah, I don't, maybe that's not your thought, but, but if I moved around, that's how I would feel. When I moved around when I was a kid, that's how I felt. Not, not so with God's people. This is extremely practical. Know your neighbors. Study what's happening in your community. Be involved. There's an example that I think is a precious, funny, but also telling example in the 78744 area in Dove Springs. And that's the idea of bike lanes. You guys have heard me talk about this several times. Bike lanes are great. And Austinites love bikes, right? Like Austinites love bikes like crazy. And man, bikes are great. And exercising is great. But in Dove Springs specifically, the community that we serve, there is right now an effort to make uh, bike lanes, uh, to put bike lanes uh, really on William Cannon, at the corner of William Cannon and Pleasant Valley. When you're heading up uh, on kind of the back roads, you're going down Pleasant Valley, which is an extremely busy street. It's a street that we used to live on. Uh, And then when you're coming up to William Cannon to take one of those lanes away and to make it into a bike lane, that's absolutely wild because if you've been there, you know that that intersection gets backed up for like what feels like miles. It is crazy. With the, with the lanes that are already there, it's very much like, oh, my, I didn't even know this many people lived here, right? And like, that, that's, that's the feeling you get. And so then there's this idea of let's take one of those lanes away and preserve it only for people that ride bikes. And again, while bike lanes are fine, whether you like bike lanes or don't like bike lanes or like bikes or don't like bikes, the point is to be so engaged in a community that when you hear something like that happen, you understand the benefits to the community, the lack of benefits to the community. Not that saying a bike lane is wrong, but to say the needs of this community don't match that. And this is the community that I'm a part of. This is the community that I serve. This is the community that I'm involved in. And so so establishing A presence can start by just getting involved in your community. But second, he's saying to get involved in the community, that plant gardens and eat from them idea. Agriculture in this day is still a major part of the economic life uh, amongst Jeremiah's people, amongst the the Hebrew people, amongst the Babylonians, right? This this represented a presence because you you had a garden, uh, not because you wanted to make it look pretty. We see the word garden And we're like, yeah, man, decorate your house, right? But that's not the garden he's talking about. The garden that he's talking about is the one that you plant in order to eat from it. It's to say, I plan on being here months from now when this fruit gets here, because that's what I'm going to eat. They also represented, again, economics, though, because, again, this is how you eat. This may be how others around you in your community eat as well. To be mindful uh, that what you do in your life, the economic decisions that you make, that I make, that we make, impact the community around us. This is a point that I think speaks well to the idea of gentrification, right? That this, this, this idea that we all want beautiful homes, beauty speaks to us about how beautiful God is. And, and you and I, we appreciate beauty because God is beautiful. And so we want beautiful homes, and that's a good thing. And so we renovate homes into completely foreign designs uh, to the neighborhoods that we're a part of, elevating the cost, the, the price of our house, and therefore elevating the cost of the community and pushing other people out. Am I saying you can't reven- renovate, not revenate, renovate your home? That's not what I'm saying. But to be wise about renovations, again, the fact that your choices have impacts, economic impacts on the community and people around you. And so even to, to, to have a conscious effort to say, I want my house to be nice, and I'm going to have it in a community that looks like this, and so I'm going to be a part of a community and serve that community by making my house as nice as possible without teetering that line of saying, hey, this is a house that stands out like a sore thumb. <laughs> now, I was going to say something. I was going to make a joke about painting your house white, but I'm not going to do it. Um, anybody that's been in a gentrified community knows exactly the white paint that I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, nonetheless... The, the idea, again, not being that renovating is bad, not, not saying that having a beautiful house is bad, but to be aware that, that the way we go about it, if it's only thinking about our own desires, if it's only thinking about even the aesthetic of beauty that I, that I enjoy, and it has negative impacts on the people around us, then, then I think God in, in this text would be saying, no, 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 no. Right? Plant a garden and make sure people eat. Be, be aware of the economics in the community that you're involved in. And, and a third way that he establishes presence here is uh, to plant roots of family. 
right? Verse 6 says, find wives for yourselves. Have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons. Give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Uh, this is critical because by nature, family is commitment. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, right now, right, if, if my wife literally had to step out because my son is going crazy in the back seat, in, in the back seats over there. So she's, I was going to use it as an example, and she's gone. Because even now, with cars and all the modern tools that we have, getting a family from point A to point B is still hard. Think about that. There's car seats and cars and strollers, and families are still often like, dude, this is going to take a lot of effort to get from here to there. That park eight minutes away, that's going to be like an adventure. Imagine if all you had was like wagons and mules. So the idea of family, even more so in this text than in our modern day, communicating the idea of to have children meant to root down. It meant that your family was probably going to stay close to the home that you built because there's no moving around. So that idea of creating presence by nature being committed, it, it also by nature is selfless, right? By, by nature itself is to take sons and daughters is the idea of saying, I'm going to give of myself to something. I'm going to give of myself to someone, right? That, that's the idea. You you can't choose to stay in bed while a child is crying in the middle of the night. Trust me, I've tried. I've tr- I tried last night. Last night, three in the morning, I was like, he's going to stop in a minute. I just know. And he decided he was not going to stop in a minute. He was going to require me to go in there. And he was going to be like, lay down next to me. And it was like, all right, you know what, my man? I'm going to lay down on the floor next to you because apparently you're terrified right now. And I'm going to work on getting you not terrified, but your need right now is this, and I'm the one that's here to give it to you. By nature, it's selfless. By nature, it's caring. God's family also demands this type of dependence and reliance. Kids don't come home in godly families to figure out how to pay bills. That's not to say that godly families don't struggle with finances. That's not saying that at all but that in godly families, people that are meant to take responsibility and care for others do everything they can in order to meet that goal and to serve that responsibility, to go hungry in order for others to eat, to sacrifice in order for lights to be on. That's that's the nature of of God's family, to, to build dependence and reliance on those that care for you. The family's presence, God's family, right? Our presence in any community, not just Babylon, but in any community, is not just about presence, but it's about the character of the presence. Displaying the type of character in the community that only comes from the character of God who gives life to that community. This idea of caring, this idea of selflessness, this idea of loving one another and being patient with one another, of allowing myself to be dependent and reliant on people that don't share my last name but are bound together by our love for our Heavenly Father, this idea to be the character of the community that's, that's in Babylon and that's in Southeast Austin and that's in Austin in general in, in the church, to be the one that people see and go, man, I love that because that looks so different than what I experience at work or maybe the that I'm going to experience on Thanksgiving Day. That family that is present in the community, that cares for others around it, even in ways that it, it dictates how they spend their money and the color they paint their house. And, and, and it even goes so far to how they treat their, their family around them and how they incorporate others into being their family. It's, it's a beautiful character that makes people go, God, whatever they have, I want. And this is what leads, right? That's the, that's the first command. The, the other two are not going to be nearly as long, don't worry. Right, but, but establishing a presence, that's what leads to the second. Because once that establishing of a presence happens, that's when Jeremiah then says to seek the well-being or peace of the city. Right In verse 7, he says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. God desires his people to seek the well-being of Babylon. That's the character of their presence. And that's powerful, again, because that word well-being is the Hebrew word shalom. And, and it's more than just making things right or making things livable or passable. It speaks to the extent to which someone is to pursue how healthy and how 
flourishing the thing they're, they're taking care of is. Clifford Green, he's a theologian and biblical uh, and social commentator, says it like this, and I love this. More than the absence of conflict and death, this rich term fills out the word community by embracing well-being, contentment, wholeness, health, prosperity, safety, and rest. This idea of caring for community uh, to make it as close to whole as we can on this side of eternity. Think about what I just said there. This idea of seeking the well-being for the city of Austin or for the community that we live in or Southeast Austin or, or Babylon for them. This idea of saying, I'm going to give of myself to try and make this place as whole as it possibly can be on this side of eternity. Understanding it's not going to be all the way whole till Jesus comes back. But whatever I can do to make it as close to that as I possibly can, that's what I'm going to give myself to. It's making sure that it's cared for and kept and safe and seen. In a community like Dove Springs where it feels like people feel not heard to help them be heard and to have their issues be expressed. It's cleaning parks and serving schools and, and mentoring youth and caring for the elderly in a community that maybe can't do things on their own. And in communities like Dove Springs, like the 4-4 in general, it's helping reintroduce people into uh, being uh, into the community that maybe are coming out of jail, that are coming out of addiction, that are coming out of abuse, but to aid them, love them, and serve them. Them kids are having a good time. Uh, in order to bring them back into a community filled with love and to build them up again, to see them be as close to whole as possible on this side of eternity. That's what that looks like. I love the way Rich Perez, he's a pastor in Atlanta, puts it in his book, Mikas Uptown. He says, God envisioned that his people would not merely exist there, that is Babylon, but would also passionately pursue the welfare of Babylon because when it thrives, you will thrive. In other words, we aren't merely to take up space until things change or God comes to finally establish his city on earth. We're not called to be residents, but neighbors. We're called to hope deeply and imagine creatively and take ownership of the places that God puts us. That idea. Can I just ask you a question in a very practical way? What is your vision for your community? What is your vision for your community? What does that mean for your cul-de-sac, for your block, um, for your subdivision, for your neighborhood, for your group of friends, for your coworkers? Pick out the community that you're a part of, that you associate most closely with, What's your vision for that? How have you taken ownership of it and said, this is how I'm going to give myself in order to see this thing, this group of people, be as close to whole as possible on this side of eternity? Um, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm humbled to be, uh, we haven't met in the holidays, but uh, to be a part of a, a monthly leadership roundtable in Dove Springs, which is like the 78744 area. And it's a meeting of uh, leaders in, in the community and, and church leaders and civic group leaders and nonprofit leaders. And we don't all agree on everything. Uh, there's some deep disagreements there on a lot of different things. Uh, in a city like Austin that has uh, it that, that, you know, considering its position on the political spectrum, you could imagine that there'd be some deep differences in things on that group, in that, amongst that group of people. Um, but we can come together for the purpose of the well-being of the 78744. That's the point of that group. The point of the group is not to come together and agree on everything. The point of the group, hear me, in those meetings is not to make the people that aren't Christian Christian. I want you to hear me when I say that. The point of that meeting is not to make the non-Christians Christians. The point of that meeting is to care for the 78744. That's the point of that meeting. And in those spaces for all different people's misunderstandings about God and his goodness, for a split second, they can see the corrected version of their view through myself or through uh, Pastor Mike at Austin First Church. They, they can see us seeking the well-being of the city and say, that's a character of God that maybe I don't often look at, maybe that I don't often appreciate. But there's a moment there where, where their view is corrected just by saying, this person who I disagree with on several parts is working with me to make sure the people here eat this holiday season. That's a beautiful thing. 
to display God's character. That's the second way, right? We um, establish a presence, and then we seek the well-being in the city. And then the third is that we pray for the city to thrive. Read verse 7. The last part of verse 7 says, Pursue the well-being of the city I have reported you to, and then pray for the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Pray uh, for the well-being of the city, right? I I want you to notice something here. God desires to build societies and to build communities where everyone is cared for, where everyone is taken care of, from the brokenhearted to the healed, from the sick to the healthy, from the outspoken non-believer to the most faithful follower of Jesus. He didn't say, make your neighborhoods awesome and forget other people's. Right? He didn't say, make sure your church is doing great uh, and forget everything else. And the only people get served and loved is when they become a part of your church. That selfishness, that idea of self first has no place amongst God's people. Because God's people build spaces where everyone thrives, where everyone's taken care of. Because God's common grace, the, the grace he offers to every human to care for us and to keep us alive and to nurture us and to that, that, that really is built on the value of human lives is not a grace that's limited to Christians. Hear me, the grace that God gives to everyone across the globe that's built on the value of human lives as his creation and as his original image bearers is not built on the idea of who's Christian or not. His love for creation and people and breathing, living human beings from different walks of life and who have different views of him and some of them that hate him and some of them that love him and some of them that act like he's not there and some of them that believe he's there every moment and second of the day, that those human beings have something in common that gives them value as God's image bears that God has said, I'll care for them. No matter the differences of diversity there, right? That that type of common grace and hear me, Our goal is to see people uh, come to faith in our church. That's a goal. Uh, Our mission statement is to literally make disciples, right? Like, make disciples of what? Of Jesus, right? So our goal is to make sure people come to faith. I'm not saying that's not uh, the main purpose or even that that's not a huge purpose. You know, don't see me saying that. Rather, right, faith isn't the qualifier for value and dignity and worth. That's the point. Faith isn't the qualifier for value and dignity and worth. Christ's sacrifice was made when we were all sinners. Christ dies while we're still sinners. The value he reveals isn't applied to some, but to all. Remember that we're made in God's image. This is a part of who we are and a part of how God sees us that drives his affection It's a part of the reason we go out there on Saturday mornings, especially in the winter because it's cold in the mornings, and knock on doors and say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Hey, I remember you, Evelyn. You live on this street. I ain't going to say the rest of her name, but you live on this street. Your daughter's pregnant right now. It's your first grandchild. How are they doing? How can I pray for them? The care that goes into that conversation is not one that needs to be manipulated in order to say, I'm doing this so that you can come to faith. But it's born out of the idea to say, God desires to love you and care for you. And so do I. So we pray for the city to thrive. Because when everyone thrives, we thrive. And when we thrive, we're aiming for everyone to thrive. For them to see God's community in the middle of a city of people that are hurting and broken. But for this community to to be touched and to be able to say, man, there's hope in the midst of that. My only question for us today to conclude, to kind of start getting us to the end here, uh, is this, Can, can you do this? Can you do this? We listed off a few things, established presence, and then it was like get involved in your community, care about the economy, uh, and the last one was like really kind of established roots, right? The, the second one was, um, what did I say? I can't even quite remember. Oh, oh, seek the well-being of the city. Three to six, guys. Um, seek the well-being of the city, right? Try to make it as whole as it possibly can be on this side of eternity. And then to pray for uh, the city, to try to see it thrive, to turn to God and to ask him, can you make this place thrive where everyone is being cared for? Right, because that's a part of your character. And that even maybe frees us to make disciples more efficiently and more freely. 
can you do this? Because it's easy at this point in this conversation to be like, yeah, I got this. I, uh, I got this. Dude, I'm a monster at community service. You don't even know. I'd be servicing my community, right? It's, it's easy to brush aside a sermon like this to be like, this is about community service or it is about uh, volunteering uh, either, either locally or at, uh, the, the, uh, at, uh, in our church, right? But, but it's about more than that. That's the point, right? Because it's easy to, to build comfortable spaces around us and then to do the things that we're saying right there, right? Like volunteering, caring with the city. If I build a comfortable space around me, and then say, within this comfortable space, I'm going to do all these things. That's not hard. Most of us can accomplish that. Most of us can do that. We can probably sustainably do it for a long time. But, but that's not what God is asking here. That's not what God is asking his people to do here. Remember, this isn't a people moving into a new neighborhood and saying, like, how can I serve this neighborhood well? This is a people seeking the welfare of the very city that is their prison. It's a people that have been marched 1,500 miles, having witnessed the atrocities of war, knowing what it looks like to look at the, their captures, their, their captors right in, in the face that are now being called by God to serve the city that those captors call home. That is now their prison. Friends, this, this isn't just going to a, a PTA meeting or even being involved in a meeting like I'm involved in. This, is, this calls for much more. This is faithfully going to your job where there are no Christians, reaching out to them, seeing if you can pray for them, inviting them to church, seeing their faces, hearing their ridicule, then sacrificing for them when they need a shift covered, or when they need babysitting or whatever the case may be. This is caring and praying for the same person uh, over and over and over again that, that is down on their luck, right? Giving him or her clothes and, and food and praying for them, understanding that drug abuse or mental illness may lead them to make choices that are going to be hurtful and they're going to be disappointing and caring for that person like that anyway. This is working at schools, right, where where the kids don't care about you, they don't barely care about themselves, where you're ridiculed, not just by the students, but sometimes by the parents for wanting their children to do better and still finding an opportunity to do in one child's life what you would hope to do in every child's life. These are the type of contexts that God calls us to live this out in, this giving of yourself knowing that what you're going to get back is not necessarily what you put in and knowing that you may not get anything back out of the situation at all and doing it anyway. How could God ask this of us? How could God ask this of the Hebrew people in Babylon? Because, friends, the command may be to serve in moments when it's hard. That's the command, right? Be present in the community. Seek its well-being. Seek, pray for it to thrive. But the call underneath that command, and pretty much every command that the Lord gives us, is not just to do the thing, but to hope in him while we do the thing. The, The command is to put your hand to the plow in the midst of this dark place. The call as you put your hand to the plow is trust in me while you're serving. Trust in me while you're giving of yourself. Trust in me in those moments. Trust that he has more for you than what you may or may not get out of these situations. That what you don't get here, he will give you either now or in eternity. That when everything falls through, he's still your portion. That he's still enough. That his love and his acceptance and his care and his adoption into his family, that that's still sufficient in the midst of life's heartache. How can we, friends, hear me? This is, this is the reason. How can we hope in God for those that hurt us or maybe even for a community that doesn't seem to, to reciprocate the things we give it, even while we ourselves are in pain, even while we ourselves can be struggling? Because God knew that the gospel, the good news, is not just the hope of those that are helpless. It's the hope of those that are harmful. The gospel is the hope of those that are innocent, 
and the hope of those that are guilty. It's the hope of those that are oppressed, and it's the hope of those that are the oppressors. It's the hope of all, because God knew that he would send his son to redeem uh, and save his people and to provide forgiveness for those that oppressed him. He is the ultimate example of what seeking the well-being of a city, of the world, looks like. Because when Christ entered and ingrained himself into the fabric of this world, into the power structures, into the hierarchies, into the homes of the rich, into the homes of the poor, he took the cross so that the worst of each one of those groups could be drawn to the goodness of God. Right? He allowed the oppression. Amen. Praise God. He allowed the oppression of the world to overtake him so that the oppressed in the world could be made free. But then he took the cross like an oppressor so that the oppressors of the world could be forgiven. He he fed the hungry in generosity so that the poor could eat. But he took the cross as a thief so that the greediness of the thieves could be forgiven in him. And to be made new and to be made whole. The point of, of, of a beautiful text like this is that if you are the oppressed person today... Christ has lived and died and resurrected so that you could be freed and made whole. That's the hope of your life. But if you're the oppressor and the guilty and the the at fault today, if you know that you ought to uh, do the things that we've talked about, and there have been moments where you were called to care and to love for others, but you stepped away and held things back and didn't give of yourself and saw the hungry and said someone else can feed them, and saw the pain of a spouse, friend, or family, and said that that's not my concern, that in the midst of that, Jesus died so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be made new. Right? That's the hope of the gospel, that it's not just for one group. It's the hope of the world. And here's why that's such good news for each one of us. Because in reality, depending on the second and minute of the day, we're both. We're the guilty and the innocent. We're the oppressor and the oppressed. We're the victim and the guilty. In any given day, if you wake up in the morning as the oppressed person, just beaten by society and taken advantage of, have faith because God has redeemed and rescued the world and will make all things right. But if you end the night guilty and oppressing others, bringing down the hardship of life on people to make them feel the way you felt in the morning, Take heart because Christ has gone to the cross so that you could be forgiven. The good news of Jesus extends to us every single moment of every single day. No matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done or what we haven't done. The hope of our hearts is that Christ has fulfilled and redeemed us in every way because of who he is. Not because of who we are. Because of what he's done. Not because of what we've done. Right? This is the hope that the Israelites take with them. As they look into the face of those that have taken advantage of them, into the face of those that have hurt them, and are able to say, my God has greater for me. My God will provide for me. I know his plans for me. This is why these texts are so powerful. It's why taking them out of context can sometimes be hurtful, because when you realize what the Israelites are called to do when they look into the face of those people but are able to anchor their heart and say, I can serve you even though you hurt me because I know the plans that God has for me. I know the promises that he's extended to me, promises to bless me and to bring me life. I know those plans and the plans that he has for me, friend, are the same plans he has for you to forgive, to redeem, and to make new. What an amazing message of hope in the midst of our hardest moments, whether the hard moments are that we're victims or whether the hard moments are that we're guilty. What hope, what beautiful hope, what beautiful promise. But that's the hope that's at the center of the community that God builds to speak to the community around it. Because think about what I said, and this is where we're going to conclude here. That hope is the one It's able to be extended to the community around us where if the oppressed person is walking by me in my neighborhood, I can look at them and say, there's hope for you. But when I see the guilty at work in the community, should I correct it? Yes. Not saying that that, that's a part of grace. Correction is a part of grace. But to be able to speak to that person and and be able to say there's hope for you as well, friend. That's at the hope, the center of the community that God builds 
This is our community, right? This is our city. We planted a church in Southeast Austin. We're gathering together. And the, we said that over the course of this year, we were going to build a, a light. I'm way over time, by the way, you guys, but I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you can bear with me for just like two minutes more. All right, that's what I like. Amen. See, that's what I like. That I like that. Somebody give me an amen. All right, that was good. All right, if you want to give me an amen more in the future, that's fine too. <laughs> but, right, we're building that church. And that lighthouse that we talked about in August, that's the hope that's at the center of it. That when people are able to see and understand, man, my heart is aching, regardless of the reason, there's hope to be found at that place. There's hope to be found amongst that people. They extend, offer, and invite me into a hope that heals and touches me no matter where I come from and no matter what I've done. Because as Jesus entered into the story of all humanity, to free the oppressed and to forgive, redeem the oppressors, what a beautiful message that he's come to make all things new. That's what we want to carry forward with us into the holidays as we serve, as, as you're buying gifts for uh, Rodriguez, as you're handing out gifts potentially later. We, we haven't announced that yet, but we, we, we may have another opportunity to hand out gifts at another function. As we're doing that, the hope isn't like Santa, right? The hope is good news. From every walk of life, from every experience and from every heartache, good news. I don't think I have none left to say, so let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the good news that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that no matter where we come from, no matter the heartaches that we've experienced, no matter our experiences, the, the, the victimhood that we may have experienced at the hands of others and, and maybe even the guiltiness that we've experienced as our hands and actions have hurt others. Father, that today, as we approach you, we approach the one who came and entered into the world and took the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be freed, so that we could be made new, so that we could be redeemed. Thank you for that good news. Thank you that you've built a community of people, even here, right, that, that are built together around that good news. And now our, our great opportunity is to invite the people and cities and communities around us into that good news. Father, I pray for people that are in our lives right now that maybe are wrestling with the idea of guilt from their actions, that are wrestling with the idea of, of victimization because of what others have done, that are in, the, in need of hope, that, that we would be vessels to carry that hope and good news to them, that we would understand the great, beautiful hope in, in the good news that we've received so that we can understand how you desire to work in us where you've placed us. We love you. We thank you. We place this time and our lives and our city and our community in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.